I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he told you he would. In the name of the one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. As I have spent the last few weeks praying and thinking about today's Easter sermon and studying once again all of the events of Easter, all of the things that happen on this greatest of days in human history, God spoke to me through my prayers. And he laid it on my heart to begin a sermon series on this day, a series of messages that would tell the full meaning of Easter, a series of sermons that address the central concerns of the human heart. Why Easter? What is it that we're really doing here today? What is the true meaning of all of this? And I suggest that you hold on to your seats because it's pretty powerful. And then, what's next? If we can correctly address the events of this day, then we can envision the future that's in store for us. God's future for us. So as we begin, I'd like us to think about three ideas, three things that will help frame the sermon series in this message today, three central ideas that are the main concerns of Christianity, and they are these. Facts, faith, and future. Facts faith, and future. So let me begin with the facts of the Christian faith. Today we celebrate, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is the greatest love story ever known in the history of humanity. And let me be clear, I don't mean a story like some myth or legend. What I mean is that 2,000 years ago, just outside of the holy city of Jerusalem, which still exists today, in a land called Israel, which still exists today, Jesus, who is the Christ of God, rose from the dead. He was crucified on a cross and killed on a Friday. His dead body lay in a tomb on a Saturday. And on Sunday morning, on the first day of the week, he got up out of his grave just as he said he would. The angel rolled away the stone and Jesus Christ walked the earth once again, alive and living, risen from the dead. And it turns out that we need these facts. We need these facts precisely so that we know where to place our faith, or better said, in whom we should place our faith. Because none of us, no human being is without faith. It's just a matter of where we've placed it. As someone recently said, have we backed the wrong horse or did we get the right one? And establishing these facts is so important that a man named Paul took care to write about it in this way. But before I read what he wrote, let me tell you a little about who he was. Paul's name was formerly Saul. Saul was a man who hated Christians so much so that he persecuted them and put them to death. And this is recorded in human history for all the world to read. But one day, Saul met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. And the same Saul who once had hated Christians would now forever be known as Paul, the lover of Jesus Christ and the maker of Christians. And among his other letters to Christians, Paul would write these words, 
He said, Now, if Christ is preached as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain, and we are even found to be misrepresenting God. And what is Saul, the hater of Christians, who became Paul, the lover of Christ and maker of Christians, saying to us in his writing? He's saying the Christian faith. That is to say that our faith in Jesus Christ is absolutely grounded in the facts of human history. And having firmly established what Paul is saying to us, let's talk about why he's saying it. Why is Paul writing these things to us? Let's talk now about faith. And as I turn now to talk about faith, I want us to talk about it in this way. I want us to look at faith through the lens of love. For faith and love are inseparable realities in Christianity. You see, as human beings, you and I, we want to love. Love is innately part of our constitution. Love is the central quality of our being that makes us human. And if we think about that for very long, we start to ask ourselves some questions. Where does this desire come from? And when we fail to demonstrate love, that is, when we do harm to another person, or when we do harm to ourselves, can we be forgiven for our evil deeds? And then, what happens to love in the end? Does love just end when we die? What about all the people we have loved? What about all the things we have done in the name of love? What about all the good that we've worked for in this world? Does it just end in death? Said another way, is death really a power that is stronger than love? And then we ask ourselves this question. Well, why does, why does death exist at all? Why will I myself go down to the grave one day? And I'm afraid, my friends, the answer isn't easy. Many people don't want to hear it. And quite frankly, I don't enjoy talking about it. But talking about it is the only way for us to see the victory of God that we celebrate on this day. Again, 2,000 years ago, God was actually born into this world. On the day that we call Christmas, God took on flesh and He lived as one of us where human history had not ever been able to look upon the face of God, now we could at last, in the face of Christ Jesus, see the fullness of God. And when this Jesus began His public ministry, He preached. He told us about the kingdom of God. He taught us about the love of God. And to show us that He was, in fact, a man of His word, He demonstrated to us the kingdom of God by healing the sick, by casting out demons, and by raising the dead. And the crowds, the crowds, they ran after Him, and the people were amazed at Him. They said they'd never heard teaching with such authority, and they certainly had never seen such miraculous works. But then one day, because of our sin, we said, enough is enough, and we determined to kill Him and crucify Him on a cross as a common criminal. No more walking on water, Jesus. Don't heal us of our diseases anymore, Jesus. 
Stop raising our friends and family members from the dead, Jesus. It's kind of hard to believe, isn't it? Except that this was not an isolated event. It's not like we had been getting it right and suddenly we got it wrong. Rather, this is the great culmination of our human history. Killing God wasn't something we suddenly decided to do. We had been preparing for it all throughout our human history. The crucifixion of Christ was just the final nail in the coffin or in the tree or in his hands and feet, as it were. Enough is enough, God. We don't want your way of life anymore. Don't walk with us in the garden. Don't tell us what to do by giving us Ten Commandments. Don't judge us through the prophets. In fact, now we're going to judge you and hang you on a cross as a common criminal. Enough is enough, God. We don't want your way of life anymore. We don't want you anymore. But thanks be to God that this is not the end of the story. For God himself also said, enough is enough. And it is his love for us that would have the last word. For on this day in human history, 2,000 years ago, God definitively declared to the world, enough is enough. No more. Sin and death do not win. On this day in human history, God simply refused to abandon us to death. These words from Father John Wallace, a classmate of mine in seminary, who preached this message on Good Friday. He said, Sin encountered God's infinite and eternal love, and sin was shown to be impotent and insignificant in comparison. Sin's power over us, sin's power to defeat and destroy us, sin's power to separate us from the love of God is utterly defeated on the cross. He continues, precisely when we had rejected him completely, precisely when we had turned wholeheartedly against him, precisely when we had allied ourselves with the powers of evil in this world, precisely in that moment when we determined to do our worst to him, even to kill him on a cross like a common criminal. That's precisely when God was determined to love us the most. Our no was God's yes. Our accusation was his forgiveness. Our judgment met his grace. Our worst met his best. Our curse met his blessing. Our rejection met his embrace. Our hate met his love. And now in my own words for this Resurrection Sunday, God's love won and God's love wins. And there's only one way we can know that God's love wins. It's because on the third day, Jesus got up out of the grave just as he said he would. If it had ended any other way, it would have meant defeat. But it ended this way, and this means the victory of God. And now, my friends, we can see how facts and faith work together because knowing the fullness of these facts is exactly why we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And we've been hearing in the media a lot recently from the popular people and the politicians of this world the catchy phrase, love wins, love wins, love wins. But this morning, I say something to you even better. Jesus wins, Jesus wins, Jesus wins. 
Because it's only in looking at Jesus that we know what love really looks like. And this, my friends, is why Easter. Because God simply refused to allow death to win. Enough is enough. He swallowed up death in life through the love of Jesus Christ. And now let me close with what's next. What can the future hold for us? What does this news mean for us? Easter is indeed an event in human history. In fact, Easter is the event that changes the course of human history. And it's an event that comes with an implicit invitation. And when we get this right, let me tell you, my friends, it's a game changer. It's an absolute game changer because the news just gets even better and better from here. This good news of God in Christ Jesus, this great news of God in Christ Jesus, this glorious news of God in Christ Jesus means that all of the love that we do have in our hearts and all of the love that we do experience for other people and all of the things that we rightly do in the name of love, they don't just die here on earth. They can carry on to the future. In fact, they can carry on for eternity. For if we're willing to join faith, hope, and love to Jesus, if we're willing to confess our sins to Him, if we're willing to see His victory over death, then this is what happens next. First, we are free. And I'd like you to bask in that statement for just a moment. If you hear anything I've said this morning about facts, faith, and future, I want you to hear that we are made free, for the Scripture declares this good news. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. No more living in bondage to sin and death. Because when we're free, we're free to become sons and daughters of the Most High God. Sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism as a guarantee, as a deposit of our future inheritance. And what I'm talking about is a new identity. And even next week, we're going to watch that happen as we celebrate the sacrament of baptism for two children in this congregation. And then we'll see how God loves us corporately. How God loves us individually. How God loves us objectively. These are some of the ideas that we'll be talking about in our sermon series. For the resurrection of the Son of God is the betrothal of the bridegroom to the bride. It's the announcement that the wedding feast is at hand. So I encourage you, my friends, don't stop here. Don't stop here because the celebration is just beginning. Today we celebrate God's love for you and for me and for everyone. The facts of our human history that produce faith in Jesus Christ. And these things working together do offer to us a sure and certain future. The victory over sin and death. The hope of everlasting life in Him. So my final two questions are these. Wouldn't you like to keep celebrating this victory? Wouldn't you like to keep hearing this good news of God in Christ Jesus? Then let me personally invite you to come back next week and see what's next. For Jesus himself declares these words to us, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever lives in me, though he die, will live forever. 
These, my friends, are the facts that produce the Christian faith and give us a future now and forever. Amen.